Good afternoon and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block, hosted today by the two esteemed Eds and myself, Steve. Welcome. Um, hey, Ed. Hey, Steve. Either Ed, top story of the week. I'm not sure there was a top story of the week. Maybe it was the, you know, the escalation of, of the Israel-Hamas war. But everything seems to be sort of simmering right now. Uh, my top story of the week is all these uh, text messages I'm getting from random numbers saying that they're Speaker Johnson and they want my money. And uh, yes. he keeps saying, <laughs> block, 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 block. I mean, one thing about the Republicans, man, they are just insatiable for money and, and we get nothing for it. Well, I heard they raked so. in a lot of money this week. Um, but isn't that the primary job of the Speaker, unfortunately? It is. It well, is. And, but, and that's why people part of that job. job is to explain why we should give money. If, if you're getting those texts, it just says, this is Speaker Johnson. We need your help. Please donate. Yeah, I would read one to you, but I blocked and erased them all. Um, so well, did they didn't say anything about why? Let me see if I, uh, you know, fight the Democrats or whatever. Who cares? Um they haven't fought the Democrats since, I don't know, ever. Well, so, because... yeah, the war. The war in, in Gaza is the big uh, story. Okay. What what are, if if anything, what are the surprises this week compared to last week? Well, I think the surprises are in the international community where um, – a lot of countries are are pulling back from Israel, uh, from supporting Israel, recalling their ambassadors, breaking off diplomatic relations, that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, it, Israel's, Hamas has put Israel in a difficult position. And of course, that's the whole point. That's why they did it. Um, they have all of these tunnel complexes and they're generally underneath uh, civilian areas. And so if you try to you know, destroy a tunnel complex from the air using a bunker buster bomb, which is exactly the way it should be done, then um, it blows up the civilian area. Um, and, uh, you know, you get lots of pictures on the internet of uh, some fake, some real, of, uh, you know, dead Palestinians. Um, and then, uh, you know, the second uh, second big story besides the fallout internationally is this plan that was allegedly leaked from Israeli intelligence to empty Gaza into Sinai and then to relocate the Gazans into Europe, Canada, and the United States. And, uh, you know, if there's anything that will make me fly a Palestinian flag behind me, it would be that plan right there. Um, so I think uh, if that if that was real and not, you know, another fake thing, you can't tell anymore on the internet what's real and what's fake. Um, then I think, you know, we are in deep, deep trouble. So. Um, the first part of that, my surprise in the Israeli war is that they're not putting even more pressure on Israel because I'm very cynical about what the world lets Israel do. I think I mentioned last week, you get the two comments on Israeli uh, talking heads. One is we're independent and one is we desperately need an America so we can't take them off. So like when Israel shut down yeah, one, the internet the other day. One of the weirdest things was uh, like when they shut down the communications in Gaza and apparently the United States, somebody, Blinken or somebody, 
uh, tells them, no, no, you've got to restore the communication. So it's like, it's like saying to the United States, yeah, when you go into Ramadi or any of these other uh, towns in Iraq, you know, you have to leave the communications open so the enemy can communicate. It's ridiculous. Why is the American, why is the United States telling Israel uh, what to do with regard to running the EW war? I mean, that's bizarre. Right. And and Israel apparently listened almost immediately, which is interesting because they're probably not listening to some of the things. Well, let's ask the question differently. Does America do that to any other country in a war? Yeah, like we did we do that to the British when they were fighting the Argentines in the Falklands? Oh, don't use electronic warfare. That would be bad. It's ridiculous. You know, it's weird because some of the people in the far, far right in the United States say that the United States is a Zionist occupied government, as if Zionists control the United States. But then we look at somebody like this, it looks like the United States is controlling the Israeli government. So it's bizarre. It's just, I, I can't even understand it. Um, the last couple of weeks, I've said the whole purpose of Biden being over there and the whole purpose of American warships going over there is not to help the Israelis, but to hold them back and restrain them. And that's just, that's been my position from day one in this war since October 7th. And uh, it's still my position. I, it's interesting. Well, I mean, it's, it's been the United States. Them. They're not, they're, the only thing they really told them they absolutely can't do was cut off the internet. Everything else, they may yell a little bit, but Israel's gone pretty hard as far as what I can tell. So Ever since the 73 war and even in, in the 73 war at the end, um, the United States position has been, please, Israel, don't be mean to the poor Arabs. Um, and uh, the every like uh, Ronald Reagan, in one of his most idiotic thing, um, that he ever did was to uh, allow the rescue of the PLO from Beirut when Israel had them surrounded and dead to rights. Um, and that was back in what, 82, 83, something like yeah. that. And ever since then, it's been like, don't be mean to the poor Arabs. Don't be mean to the poor Palestinians. And it's like, at some point, they attacked Israel. What did you expect was going to happen? I, I, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, again, if the plan is to dump the Palestinians on America, I'm out. But if just from a moral standpoint, uh, you know, Israel has every right to use whatever weapons in its arsenal to go, including electronic warfare, to go after Hamas and destroy them. And let's let's review like one of Rush Limbaugh's, you know, uh, important truths. Undeniable. If you took the entire. Undeniable. If you took the entire Jewish population of Israel and stuffed them all into Gaza and took the entire Gazan population and let them spread out into Israel, Israel would become a shithole and Gaza would become a paradise. I, I, you know, it would take work. It would take a few years. But, I mean, it's it's not the land. It's the people. And uh, the Gazans had every ability to turn Gaza into a Singapore or a, uh, a Hong Kong or a Macau or, you know, Monte Carlo, and they wasted it all. And uh, it's just, you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter where they go. They come to the United States, it's going to be Gaza. They go to Canada, it's going to be Gaza. They go to Europe, Gaza. Uh, if they go to Israel, it's going to be Gaza in Israel. 
Right, which is why the Arabs don't want the Palestinians, whoever exactly they are, whoever exactly Hamas is. Um, now, would you be against Israel temporarily saying everybody needs to evacuate while we wipe it out and then we'll fix it again like we did in Germany? Yeah, I mean, the Negev is, is empty. Why don't you build a, a large... Um, the Negev, the Sinai, you know, the Sinai is empty, which is much bigger. Yeah, the Sinai is empty. And, and, I mean, you uh, the Sinai doesn't if, belong to Israel. Right, but you would think if people were interested in keeping them alive, you could build cities in Sinai, 10 cities. I mean, the whole idea that UNRWA has kept them in refugee camps, so to speak, for 75 years... I happen to one of the many, many things I've read was you got to free Palestine from Hamas. And I think until you do that, you can't free Palestinians. So and they, I they, mean, to they, they, look at the look at the fun. three years, not not the five years, but the three years after the Second World War, there were at least 20 million displaced persons, at least. And and maybe 30 million, depending on how many you count in the in the partition of India. How many of those people are in refugee camps? How many Germans who are displaced from Poland, from Czechoslovakia, from Romania, uh, from Belarusia, uh, from East Prussia, which is part of now Kaliningrad? How many Germans are in are in displaced persons camp right now? How many French? How many Russians? How, yeah. how many How many Indians are in displaced persons camps? How many Pakistanis are in displaced persons camps? And that doesn't even go into the China thing, which is 1950. Imagine if we extended five years from World War II, then there's like 100 million displaced persons. How many people are in displaced persons camps? Only the Palestinians. Why is that? Why is that? Why is that? Because they can't do anything. They can't do anything productive. All they can do is murder people. Well, it's not only that, they're actually used to murder people. You know, they, they serve a purpose to the whole Arab world. They get to be the, the bad guys and do all the dirty work and everybody else gets to sit in Qatar and other places and seem like good people. But Oh, and that's the other thing about Qatar. Sorry to bring this up. All the Hamas people are in uh, leadership are in uh, Qatar. Some are in Beirut, but most are in Qatar living in the lap of luxury. Why doesn't Israel go after them? Guess what? Because the United States is supporting the Hamas leadership in Qatar. It's the United States who's telling Israel you can't go and get them in Qatar because we set Hamas up in Qatar. It's us. It's not the Qatari government. It's the United States. And we do it to stay to have that huge base there. So it's, one second. We why do we need Qatar to host Hamas? It's got to be. They've got to be hosted somewhere, right? Better under our, better under our noses, where we can. Uh, but why keep an eye on? Some people are saying we should have forced Qatar to expel them, just like we supposedly forced Afghanistan to expel Bin Laden. And if not, we'll raise you to the ground. Some people say United States likes to have that leverage um, over Hamas. I don't totally yeah. understand it, and I know we have bases. Well, no, I mean, I don't think there's anything to understand. We're ruled by fools. I was thinking it's just stupid that we're doing it. Yeah, I mean, we're ruled by fools. They have their reasons. I don't know what they are, but it's clear that the Qatari government, um, while they're, you know, obviously they're uh, desperately afraid of being overthrown by their own people, because the people are more Shiite 
than the rulers who are Sunni, and they don't want to be overthrown. So they give the outlet. They have the Al Jazeera uh, propaganda network. They have the uh, they host uh, uh, Hamas. They hosted the Taliban in Qatar, right? Like within walking distance of an enormous American airbase, Qatar hosted the t- leadership of the Taliban. Right now, come on. If that wasn't if if that wasn't explicit U.S. policy, then I, I don't understand. I, it, 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 them, our our leaders are even more foolish than we think they are. Adam, do you think it's stupidity? You think it's planned to be on both sides of the war? What do you think it is? I've said all along. I don't think it's stupidity or foolishness at all. I, I mean, there is foolishness in it, but I think it's malice more than foolishness. I think we were we're run by people that hate the United States and are trying to take us down. And I don't I mean, there's an element of foolishness in that malice because we're, we don't deserve that. But I think it's it's maliciousness on the, on the part of our leaders, not stupidity. But we were in Qatar under Trump, right? Yes. And they were still hosting Hamas leaders, I believe. But the State Department sort of is on autopilot. Okay. So I want to talk about two ancillary countries. Um, How surprised are we and what's our reaction to that airport incident? And I believe they pronounce it Dagestan. Everybody knows what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm where mobs of Dagestanis set off thousands of them from the airport. Yeah, because allegedly a, a plane from Tel Aviv had landed there. I um, was a little bit put off by that. I find it a little scary. To me, it's a little surprising that that can happen in something that's controlled by the Russians, that they're so chaotic there. Um, oh, I, you know, I mean, first of all, you know, there, there's on the one hand, on the other, on the one hand, um, the Russians have basically given up control of their provinces to the regional governors because all of the Russian army is in Ukraine or, you know, in Russia backing Ukraine. So it's not clear how much um, real control Putin has over the troops in, in, you know, over the security forces in Dagestan um, because he's made it his mission to, you know, do something in Ukraine. Because my memory um, tells me that he's just as afraid of jihadists as we are, um, see Chechnya. Well, this whole, you know, the United States should be friends with Russia, Jesus. I mean, that's ridiculous that we aren't. Um, and yes, Putin's a bad guy, but no, we didn't do anything um, to improve the situation. We always kept poking the bear. Um, on the other hand, I don't know what to do with the, you know, these mobs of uh, Muslims that get out of control. I mean, there was over a hundred thousand people marching in uh, London the other day in favor of Palestine. Uh, some guy got arrested because he was uh, waving the English flag, which is absolutely forbidden. I mean, you, you get in more trouble for waving the English flag in England than you waving the swastika Nazi flag. Um, and uh, some some guy was complaining on video on YouTube about all the Palestinian flags flying in this neighborhood that he was in. And the cops came and arrested him for for complaining on YouTube that uh, there are too many Palestinian flags flying around. 
um, London has fallen as the, as the, you know, there's, it's, there's no Englishmen in London and the ones that are there are getting out as fast as possible. So it, it, and this is what they have in store for the United States. Let's be honest. Well, that's the real what point has, is this is coming here. Why shouldn't they do that in Heathrow airport? And how would any, what would anybody or Dulles? Well, yeah. we'll get to Dulles in a minute. And then I want to talk about Erdogan or Erdogan in Turkey, who apparently had a tremendous, tremendous rally. Some people say a million people or more. Some people say that's fake, um, but has come out very strongly on Hamas's side, best I can tell. And he's a NATO member. And what does that mean? And are we ever going to get them out of NATO? Like, how does all that work? I don't think we're ever going to get them out of NATO. But... um... I don't know. I mean, the, the the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about is the role that Islam plays in all of this. And that, you know, the, the Quran spe- is very specific about the role of jihad and the role of holy war and the and the legitimacy of killing infidels where you find them. And that, you know, there's there's no there's no breach between what these jihadists are doing and what Islam teaches them to do. They're not perverting the religion, they're carrying it out. And nobody in our country, nobody in the West wants to really say that. And well, they want to say the opposite, obviously. Right. The religion of peace. And and what we what we really need is, you know, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not well versed in the history of the Crusades and how they started, but that's really what we need. We need the uh, you know, a new a new crusades to to recognize and acknowledge the threat that Islam poses to Western civilization. So if we had a real, quote, American first president, and it doesn't have to be Trump, but a a real president, how can you be allied by treaty with a country that's backing the side you're ostensibly fighting? Like we say they're a terrorist group, Hamas. Turkey backs them strongly. At some point, don't we have to reconcile that or we just keep playing that game? Well, the reason for it is to try and have a counterweight against Russia. But as Ed mentioned just a little while ago, it's preposterous that we're not allied with Russia. Our interests and the Russians' interests are pretty much aligned. And however bad of a dictator Putin is, A, we've got worse dictators in the Islamic world, and B, for all of his flaws, he's he's a pretty decent representative, if not leader, of Western civilization right now. Again, we're, we're you know, Western civilization shouldn't be led by a, di- by a dictator, but as far as dictators go, he's He's got more in common with Western civilization values than pretty much any other any other dictator, including the idiot in Ukraine. Well, actually, he's got more in common with Western values than we do, doesn't he? In well, some, I don't think that's necessarily in some true. Areas, in some, in some areas. areas, yes. I mean, yeah. woke areas, for instance. He, he's the problem with Putin is he is a brute, and um, and his brutishness. Uh, came through in the wake of this war in Ukraine. Um, now, there's a difference between like arresting Eugene Debs for complaining about the draft in World War I, uh, which Woodrow Wilson did, and which is obviously unconstitutional and wrong, and the brutishness with which the Russians have crushed any opposition to the war way worse than even the Chinese, like when they crushed the 
Hong Kong protesters, uh, although not the Tiananmen Square, but close to Tiananmen Square. So it, it, it's not so much that he is, you know, an authoritarian leader. He, he's no Pinochet, in other words. Pinochet being the sort of, you know, apotheosis of, of right-wing authoritarian leaders that leads their people out of communism and into, uh, you know, at least relatively uh, good times. Um, and and he's, he's behaved like an idiot and a brute uh, in uh, Ukraine instead of... Um, instead of running the war uh, properly, uh, the, the whole war from the Russian perspective has been run uh, just about as poorly as you can imagine from a uh, CYA perspective of every officer involved um, instead of you know understanding hard truths. That's one of the reasons why the United States won uh, the Second World War uh, in the Pacific is because um, we passed bad news up the chain. And we complained up the chain and it went all the way to the top. I mean, nobody likes to say that, you know, the general's an idiot or whatever, but I mean, that message got through, whereas the Japanese were so honor bound never to say anything negative that even when everything went off the rails, they were reporting up through the chain of command that everything was fine. And that prevented them from altering their strategy. And I think the Russians have picked up exactly where the Japanese uh Ended and their in their inability to communicate, their inability to communicate bad news and things aren't going well. I'll bet Putin gets better information about the battlefield in Ukraine from like Telegram, you know, if he reads it, than he does from his own chain of command. And so it's his own damn fault for putting psychophants in the Russian military rather than actual military men. Well, how how is that that much different than us? Well, us today, yes, right. No, we're we're just as bad right now. Luckily, yeah, we're not the fighting a real war. Doesn't really bend to yeah, the yeah. commander no. anymore, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if we ever got into a war, the first thing that would happen is like everyone with stars would be fired, right? And we'd, you'd bring up people who know how to. If fight we had a real leader, make them generals. If we had a real leader, I mean, as much as I dislike Roosevelt, that's what he did. I mean, he took some people who were generals, like MacArthur and said, okay, you're in charge of this whole area. But then he brought up a large number of people um, who are colonels and what and lieutenant colonels uh, to replace all of the peacetime generals, okay. did you including kind of, Eisenhower, who was a colonel. Did you see the story I sent from Newsweek? It's from two days ago, quote, Russia finally ready for Ukraine peace talks. Um, I did see that. Obviously, they have conditions, but is there any meaning to that? Is there some movement on the part of Russia that actually could be heading towards the beginning of the end of this war? Why would Ukraine make peace when Congress is sending them tens of billions of dollars? Or are they? So that gets to kind of the next question. Is that going to change with Johnson? Um, are they splitting the two packages? What's going to happen in America with that? We're going to cave in. I don't, you know, again, I think there were peace talks at the very beginning and the United States through Boris Johnson, who was the UK prime minister at the time, scuttled that. There were peace talks uh, led by Turkey um, that the United States scuttled. There was peace talks led by the Israelis um, 
because obviously, uh, you know, the Israelis have an interest in being friends with both Ukraine, with there's a lot of Jewish Ukrainians and Russia, there are a lot of Jewish Russians, um, and the U.S. scuttled that too. So the, if we're going to have peace in Ukraine, we need a regime change here at home first. I think if, if the, you know, I think we're not going to have peace in Ukraine until uh, the next election. If Biden wins, we're never going to have peace. And if Trump wins or, or another person wins, I think we're going to have peace within three months. I think Trump is right. I mean, you know, again, Trump, I get it. But he's absolutely right that he would have peace in three months because there's some hard truths that the Ukrainians have to face. Okay, And so they should have faced them back in 2014. We're the oxygen that's keeping that war going. If we pull the oxygen, it has to end. That's basically what we believe. I don't think it will end think- necessarily um, because like the Russians are incompetent and the Ukrainians are incompetent. So I think it will just be more of a meat grinder. I don't think the Russians are going to march into Kiev any more than I think uh, the Ukrainians are going to march into Sevastopol. But but I think that I think that there's more to it because I think before the war, Ukraine was a was a money laundering scheme for for politicians in both parties, and the war has only uh, increased that. That now there's a lot more money flowing through Ukraine, going to both parties, and I don't. I, I think the incentive is for both parties to keep the war going because they're all getting their bread buttered by it. So but I would think- they lose that if there was a peace deal? There'll still be a corrupt Ukraine, just a little smaller. Right. So they'll, so, I mean, you I'm know, saying whether, they could have I, whether it's I Biden the or war, Lindsey Graham, they're going to, they're going to get less money. Why would they want less money? I think the war ups the grift, the graft rather, um, like 10 X, right? Because there's right. all this money and weapons and everything flowing. I mean, as I mentioned the other week, it's like, what the hell are these Hamas guys doing with AR, uh, AR you know, M16s. I mean, come on. That's either got to come from Ukraine or come from Afghanistan. And, uh, you know, the of course, the memes that were going around is the American public have the right uh, uh, to be armed just as uh, well as uh, the United States government has armed the Taliban and Hamas. I mean, that's, that's the meme that's going around. And there's a lot of truth to that. I, I, everything we step in, we screw up. And I, you know, again, I don't particularly, I'm not particularly an isolationist uh, in my, you know, history, but given how everything we do screws it up beyond all recognition, we like these frozen wars. You know, we like frozen wars. We like 20-year wars in Afghanistan. We are still in Iraq for some reason. We're still in Syria. We're not even allowed to be in Syria. up, though, Ed. It's malice. They're benefiting. Yeah, it is malice. They're, they're it is from it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what else it, it could be. I mean, it's the graft, sure. But it's, um, you know, as far as the United States is concerned, we should have absolutely no input as to Israel's view of this war. The attack on October 7th was not like a rocket coming and hurting a pedestrian. It was a deliberate attack that killed, you know, over a thousand people and uh, a bunch more were taken hostage. Invaded it was hostages from a peace concert right across the border. It, it, a was, bunch it, was, as, it, it was as bad as 9-11. It was as bad as Pearl Harbor. The Israelis had no choice but to go to war. And it's none of our business 
to tell the Israelis um, uh, how to fight the war. It's none of the Israelis' business to say, we have to take, uh, you know, refugees caused by their war. That ain't happening. So we should ignore them if they want us to do that. And they should ignore us if we tell them anything about uh, how to fight the war. Well, and I totally agree, come. Especially, especially when there's 22 Arab countries that can, you know, easily absorb them all. I think that would be, be ridiculous. And, and, you know, and let's be honest, you know, the only reason we're giving all these countries, you know, Egypt and whatever uh, money is to keep the peace with Israel. Um, we, we shouldn't be giving money to any of those people, including Israel. The Israel should grow up. It's 80 years old. It's time to move out of mom's basement. Um, they they have they have to take care of themselves. They don't deserve any money from the United States. We're dying already under debt. They do it themselves, but then we don't give Egypt any money. We don't give Lebanon any money. We don't give Iraq any money. We don't give anybody any money. No money. Um, and and stay out of their business. They have they can take care of themselves. Okay, so isolationism. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question, and like Ted Cruz, I want a yes or no. Is the United States any less malevolent in foreign policy than Russia? No, I don't think so. I, I think I do think so because I, the malevolence is aimed at the American people, not at the foreigners. Well, in in intent, but in effect. Do we make at least as much a mess of the world as Russia ever did? I mean, Soviet it, Union made more of a West mess than. So the I was States just America. watching another documentary on you know how the Taliban came about, and assuming the truth that we made them, and that in our effort to get back at Russia or to keep things even with Russia, we literally created the entire jihadist movement as it is today, including bin Laden. Well, I come mean, on. I mean, but, we created the jihadist movement? That, I mean, we armed them. The Quran is, is what created them. the jihadist what, movement. What's that? The Quran is what created the jihadist movement. Was there a serious jihadist movement in the world before 1975? No. Of course. No, there I mean, wasn't. The Barbary pirates were jihadists. The now, Barbary pirates I mean, were 200 I, I, years I, I, ago, and they passed from the world. Ed, when I was a kid, the only thing I thought about the Middle East was it's a backwards desert where they still have donkeys. That's before the whole oil mess in 73 when that started to change. But jihadis camels. were not a threat till a OPEC, till the Iranian Revolution. And then when we screwed things up in Afghanistan, we gave them power, we gave them weapons, we gave them training, we created a bunch of monsters, and we continue to create monsters. But in the 60s, who gave a hoot what the Arabs thought? Nobody. Yeah, I mean, it was the 68 war. I mean, I, I understand that it went into 73, but it was the 68 war that uh, kind of... I mean, 67. It's not... 67 more, excuse me. Um, it's kind of not really understood, but, you know, the Soviets, so Stalin went from, you know, philo-Semitism to anti-Semitism as his, as the, you know, as his tenure progressed. And he, um, 
he wanted to get rid of the Jews. He was not, a, of course, he murdered a bunch of them in the purges of 38. Um, but like, did you know there's an oblast in, in Eastern Russia called the, the Jewish oblast? That was one of his, yeah, go look it up. It's on the map. That's one of his, uh, his, his Stalin scheme. He's going to move all the Jews out uh, to Eastern Russia. But he wanted them gone. And so he was, uh, you know, a fan of Israel. And of course, a lot of the, the Jewish uh, immigrants from uh, or immigrants to uh, Israel were were Russians and were communists. I mean, early Israel was a you know, it was barely, a communist state. Yes, it was a yeah, it was a communist state. And socialist so, state. That's where the kibbutz comes from. The Soviets were very pro-Israel until the sixty-seven war, and of course, the United States was pro-Israel, and for lots of political reasons that we need not go into. But you know the. Um, it was the 67 war where the Soviets decided, okay, here, here's a, here's a way to needle the Americans. And uh, they sided with the Arabs and then they created the modern terrorism. The PLO was a right. communist organization. Yeah. It was trained in and Russia, supposedly. Yeah. That's right. It was trained and armed by Russia, by the Soviet Union. And it only became a, um, you know, what we might call a uh, jihadist organization, you know, after the, you know, the 73 oil embargo, the 79 uh, Iranian revolution, and, you know, in in through the 80s, it, it switched from being communist. Right. But it all these other... I mean, it's nationalist, secularist to being uh, right. universalist. But I, right. I just think... And it was a... Cra- so a they created... They, the Soviets created, in a lot of ways, the Soviets created terrorism. I mean, obviously terrorism, French Revolution, you know, the, the Russian Revolution. But like Middle Eastern terrorism, like terrorism that's, in the no, Middle East. That's Soviet was, Russia. But jihadism, yeah. I think we had quite a big of hand in because we misplayed it. Um, whether the yeah, intentions yeah. were good on the part of Reagan and Bush, I have no idea. But I think we... we we made a mess of things. I think looking back, those probably weren't the right plays. Um, now with the Shaw no. business, I don't know. I, I I don't like thinking of America as the bad guy, but if there's any truth to our support of the Shah helping Khomeini get in, then it makes it even worse. But I don't even I don't like going there. Now the, the most well, it wasn't our support of the Shah, it was our removal of support of the Shah and our support of Khomeini that got him in there. And then he turned on us. Yeah, Alu, welcome. I, I think one of my major questions that a lot of people have is it's, it's pretty much not disputed much anymore that the United States government and maybe Israeli government and the West in general, and in, so taxpayers have been funding many or all sides of the conflicts, including funding Hamas, ISIS, and you know Taliban, et cetera. And Biden gave 20 to $80 billion of weapons to the Taliban. Why is there not more of that pushback against that among Americans is it ignorance or something else and why why is there so much support for continuing to fund both sides of many things like Israel and Hamas and Taliban and ISIS and Al-Qaeda and, and pretty much all of the well, I can tell you the answer I can tell you the answer because our State Department wants stasis the lesson they learned from World War II was Invading other countries and conquering territory, not like 
and of course, that's why Iraq was bad, right? But invading other countries and conquering their territory and annexing their territory, like Hitler did with Austria, like Hitler did with the Sudetenland, like Hitler and the Soviet Union did with Poland, that is the source of all conflicts. So we want stasis. We want everything to stay exactly the same. The lines on the map were redrawn after the Second World War, and that's what they're going to be forever and ever, no matter how much they don't make sense. Those are it. And so when people are fighting over what seems to be lines, I know the Arabs and the Israelis are fighting for a lot more nowadays than lines on a map. But, it, you know, in the was the 47 war, they were it was the partition. They hated the partition, and et cetera. But it's like if we can pay these people to stop fighting so that it just we stay with the status quo. That's our foreign policy. It's to pay people. And as soon as you do that, as soon as you pay people to not fight, you're going to guarantee more people want to fight because they all they all want the money. So we're paying well, Egyptians. All the money is going to, to the contractors, to the big um, military companies, from Boeing to Lockheed Martin to GE to everything in between. Billions going from no, it's not. I mean, a lot of it is. A lot of it is. And and you know, for all the problems I have with Boeing and Lockheed and Raytheon and whatnot, they're. They're fine companies. They're, you know, they're not particularly corrupt. It's like half of the money is going to Boeing and Lockheed and Raytheon. The other half is just a gift to the foreign government. Our foreign aid is American poor working class people giving money to foreign rich corrupt government. Half the aid to Ukraine goes to Zelensky to spend on whatever he wants. Yes, half of it goes to Boeing for, you know, F-15s or bombs. Well, a or lot of it comes back here. But Ed M., my yeah. understanding is you agree with Ed, but on top of that, you believe a very large part of it is to take America down. It's not just stasis. Yes. Yes. I think that's true. Well, I think Obama was almost explicit about that, right? Not wanting a bipolar, uh, a unipolar world. Why is Biden trying to build up Iran? Um, I think that's just an Obama policy. And I think Obama was pro-Muslim besides wanting it to be bipolar. But what do you say? I think they're trying to build up a threat to the United States to the point where that threat can harm the United States. Well, I, I think they are doing that. But what they want is to pay people to not fight. They want to pay the Iranians to not fight. That's that the whole thing. It's like, not that we have the money to pay anybody anything, but I think that's the that's the State Department's mindset. We want to pay people to be nice. And if you, you know, if you have two squabbling kids and you say, okay, if you squabble, I'm going to give you five dollars each to go play nice. I, I, they'll be murdering one another in within two weeks, right? Because they, they want the money. And and that's what we do. Our our peace initiatives, which is to, to pay people to be nice, never work. I don't think that explains why Obama really wants Iran to have a nuclear weapon. I'm with you, Steve. I'm not entirely sure that's exactly what Obama wants. I think he he smokes his own doobies. You know, I, I think he he really thinks when the Iranians say to him that, oh, yeah, we're not we don't want nuclear weapons and we're not going to work on it. And uh, if you just give us the 50 billion dollars in pallets of cash, we promise. It's oh, like, OK, come yeah, on. I see that. No, no, I Nobody think he believes his own bullshit. Stupid. 
Nobody is that I, stupid. I think he believes them. All right. Two on one on this one. Yeah, that, count that me thing. against NP here as well. It would be hard to convince me that Obama doesn't think the Iranians would develop nukes. I don't know. Okay. I have no idea whether Obama even knows what it takes to develop nuclear weapons. Oh, I'm sure he doesn't. But listen, he didn't know what a shovel-ready job was. The bottom line yeah. question is Christopher Ray apparently admitted all of a sudden, as far as I can tell, following things, that there's no reason to believe these people aren't in America and we're not going to get hit hard. Is that what you guys are hearing? Yeah. And that now, didn't that come out of the blue? Haven't they until now been saying the border's secure, blah, 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 and all of a sudden we're in deep doo-doo? Well, I was talking to my sister about this. He's, you know, he claims there are no illegal immigrants coming in the United States. And I and that's true, because he's legalized them. Well, yeah, but he, he apparently <laughs> is saying we got Hamas and Hezbollah people here, and yes, we're in very big risk. And to me, that Yeah, I, I just don't I okay. Yes, of course that's true. No, I don't believe he did it to because he's, you know, captured by the truth. He's captured by he wants more money to fight Catholics who oppose uh, lockdowns. And he wants more money um, for the terrorists to fight. For, for, yeah, the, all the white supremacist terrorists that we, we see uh, that we don't see yeah, that he wants more money. That's all he's saying that because so he thinks he can get, get the Republicans. He just he thinks it's a way to game the Republicans. And he's absolutely right. Uh, I would not give the FBI another dime until it completely refocuses attention on actual crimes that have already been committed. I would um, abolish rather than, abolish the whole FBI. Yeah, of course. Of course, we'd abolish the FBI. Yeah, yeah. We've said that before. Yeah. And the ATF and the DEA and all, all of it gone. OK, but, you know, as a baby step. We are at risk, I think, from Muslim terrorism right now more than we were, let's say, a month ago. And probably no one takes that risk seriously because, like Israel, we get lulled into it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But would anybody be surprised if something big did happen? At least we're not at the point I, where, like, Cornell University in New York or wherever is having uh, messages of kill all Jews, follow every Jewish student home, slit their throats. From the river to the sea and Allahu Akbar. At least we're not having stuff like that happen, right? Well, at least they fired somebody, I think. Or they arrested, they arrested somebody for that, for the really bad stuff. But I mean, everybody knows what's going on in Columbia University and you know, people being barricaded into libraries, et cetera, et cetera. The Brooklyn, you know, the yeah, Columbia Brooklyn, or Cooper the, Union. Cooper Union was the library. Columbia's having horrible, horrible. Um, and then the big rally in Brooklyn where they arrested, I believe, 350 people um, rallying for Hamas. New York is getting slightly uncomfortable for certain Jews. The the cops. Yeah, the difference is New York, they'll arrest the pro-Palestinian violent ones. In London, they're, they're arresting the nine-violent British people. Right. So it's and when we get only to about that a, stage. We're only about a week or two behind them, I fear. We're not. Yeah, we're not yeah where's far. Daniel? To tell us about what's going on in London. Yeah, he was supposed to come today, but he didn't. So he must have fallen. Maybe he got asleep. stuffed up by the mob. I hope not. Yeah, or he fell asleep. Um, well, he's quite outspoken. Um, Maybe the mob found out who he was, and he associates with people like you. And thank he's you. In trouble. 
Thank you. Well, I don't think Daniel's worried about anything like that. He speaks his mind. Yeah, although he does, he does write that what he says doesn't make him friends. I don't think he's at particular risk. I think Jews, you know, we talk a lot about why Jews are liberal, and there's literally five stories a day about how many Jews are supposedly waking up because of this, how Jews are going to buy guns everywhere, except for New York, where you can't get one anyway. Um, will Jews turn? Will liberal Jews turn because of this? Maybe 1%, maybe. I think most yeah. will turn back to stay liberal anyway at the end of it. But I just, you know, I care, is America at risk for some terrorist attack? And then what? And why wouldn't we have an airport attack? Like, if if it can happen there, why can't it happen here? It's it's the the you know the mob kind of mentality, and I think we have seen nothing but increasing. I mean, I've got whole folders filled with video of of mob violence in the United States. BLM is perfectly twenty twenty. FIFA, all you do is change the sign. I joked the other day that these guys, they just have two sided signs, so they call them up yeah. and come riot. And which side do you want me to use? And I just saw another story about how well funded this is, and it's funded through various organizations, because it's very hard to believe that these things are just grassroots people getting angry and deciding to uh, close the Brooklyn Bridge or something. I think Bonjita reported that Soros gave like 50 million or something to one of these groups. Yeah, but they also they have pass through groups, but it's not spontaneous people getting angry. Uh-huh. And I, I, I fear the mob because just like we had with BLM riots and post Floyd riots, you know, we could have another Chaz like they had in Seattle or something. Not yeah, I mean, I think the Chaz thing, though, I mean, that was a sort of an Antifa run, uh, you know, place. And and so you there there are demographics that are in play with these mobs. You know, we have the um, Antifa, which is primarily white college age kids, um, communists. Green hair. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of them are Jewish, as we found out. So, white college age kids. We have the BLM, primarily black also youth uh but they're they're more like smashing windows and stealing stuff you know what i mean so yeah you can get into that do we have enough sort of uneducated lower class sort of arab slash palestinians in any place in the united states like they do in uh in london to create that large a mob i don't know but it, it the demographics matter in these in these mobs um, well, I, think, I think we're heading there because there's a lot more than people are realizing and they're right next to jewish neighborhoods right now in new york and i think we're close to a tinder right box. um there has always been a very uh in new york there has always been a very tenuous Bruce between the black community and the Jewish community, especially the Hasidic Jewish community who are so obviously uh, Jewish. That, like I could see specific. you on the street. That's specific to Crown Heights. 
which is yeah. one neighborhood, which is where Al Sharpton got that kid killed. The tensions are different, right. different neighborhoods. Yes, there it could explode. I was actually talking to cops about it the other day because um, they the big rally in Brooklyn, there he is, the big rally in Brooklyn was started not far from where the those Brooklyn Hasidim in Crown Heights are. Luckily, that didn't blow up. But I think there are a lot of Muslims in New York and we're not that far from it exploding. Daniel, we've been talking trash about you the last hour. Now you finally come on. <laughs> <to defend yourself. laughs> okay. uh, Welcome. You look like great to see you, Daniel. Thank you. It's good to see you guys as well. Nice to see you, Daniel. So nice London has you. fallen. Hi. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So London, London has, has fallen, fallen uh, Daniel. Tell us about that. Um, oh, talk about put me on the spot. Uh, I assume you're referring to the uh, protests that are, uh, have been conducted from Hamas supporters of various kinds. Hundreds of thousands of people support. Yeah, does anyone Hamas in London support. not support Hamas? Um, well, maybe uh, the handful of English people that still live in London don't. Oh, but, the fashion. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But um, and we've—I mean—the thing that's probably more disgusting, uh, even than those great big crowds, is is the fact that um, posters were put up of the kidnapped children, and the British police have removed those as uh, um, worrying that they will stoke tension and they will offend, um, you know, people who like to see um, innocent children abducted by terrorists. Um, so, you know, that's that's fairly disgusting from the authorities. Do you find, I mean, because what we were kind of saying before is the pendulum has swung in favor of the Muslim mob in London. And in that sense, it's over. I mean, do you find that the police are afraid of them or give in to them? Um, yeah, well, very much so. I mean, we found that with the, the grooming gangs, you know, and, and um, this is mentioned, this came out in reports um, that the authorities are afraid of stoking what they call community tensions. And it's very similar in a way to, you know, what we, we've seen with various uh, Black Lives Matter riots, etc. in in the US. Um most of the authorities are either complicit in these groups behaving in these barbaric ways um, or they um, are afraid to deal with it. Uh, you know, it's one or the other. There's there's very few in terms of, um, you know, police forces or police individuals who want to deal with it. Um, and uh, I, I'm afraid it's a it's a sad reality that that helps to constitute the anarcho-tyranny that we're living in. Yeah, I mean, I got to give credit to Tommy Robinson in his book. He um, he pointed out that when the cops arrested a, a Pakistani Muslim uh, in Britain at, for something, you know, crime, maybe violent crime, um, the, uh, the Muslim community of that town would come and uh, have a talk with the police and maybe surround the police station in, in one instance and say, you know, that's a nice police station you have there. Uh, wouldn't want anything to happen to it. And you get the police to the point where who would they rather hassle? Would they rather hassle an Englishman 
or would they rather ha hassle a Pakistani Muslim? Because hassling an Englishman, you've seen, you've met Englishmen. We have an Englishman here. They're the nicest people. You know, they're very law abiding. They queue yeah. up for everything. You know, if ever anybody you want to hassle somebody, hassle the Englishman because they're just going to sit there and take it rather than a Pakistani Muslim who might burn your entire house and neighborhood down. So I think that's the police. It's just it's they do that calculus and that's what they've decided. Uh, absolutely. And the, the thing is, um, we, we've seen two processes going parallel that, that end up creating this scenario where they will pander to certain groups and not others. And and the, the two things going in parallel are the, the kind of atomization of the experience of life of uh, white Westerners and, and the fact that we don't tend to live in communities anymore. We don't tend to have, you know, in the UK in particular, we don't have hubs of connection so much as we used to. Um, where you move about a lot with work and with, uh, you know, looking for work. And um, uh, we don't, we're not settled in the way that we were with the, the kind of local connections that we used to have. Um, you know, that's not the experience of most white people today. And, um, and in the opposite direction, you've got almost like clan structures still working within um ethnic some ethnic minority groups particularly muslim ones uh and you've got you know very rigid patriarchal uh control of families you've got um everyone knowing everyone cousins all uh being uh, you know on call uh if their honor should be troubled and you've got um you know everything organized through mosques as well um, and all the things that, that of, of connection that that white people have have lost in a secularized society that uh, has abandoned a lot of its traditions, that the incomers have those things, um, and they may have a sick version of community in many cases. They may have uh, a, an Iron Age belief system backing that, but it works. You know, and it allows them to be uh, to work collectively together uh, in a in an almost militarized fashion, which um, ordinary white families and white people don't have access to. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm reading a, a I'm reading a, a a banned book right now. I'm reading a book you cannot buy. Um, uh, called Camp of the Saints by Jean Raspail. And it's uh, supposed to be a, you know, a, a horrible racist book. Um, uh, not, it, it, okay, it's not a novel. It's French. Therefore, it does not, French author, so it's not a novel. It's just, well, it's French. Um, but the story is about an invasion of, Europe, in particular France, by a large number of third world uh, migrants. And it was written in 1973. And it, the book doesn't really focus on the migrants themselves, other than saying they want to go to uh, where they, you know, the land of milk and honey, what, whatever they think. The book's focus is on the weakness 
of the Western governments, including the, the French government, 1973, and how they would just roll over and play dead uh, in the face of uh, what amounts to an invasion. And um, again, I, I don't know whether I think it's particularly great literature because it's not a novel, but, um, but wow, did he hit that one out of the park about the weakness of the Western governments in face of an invasion of, of alien hordes. I mean, he yeah. got it that way in 1973. That's like, what is that? Like 50 years ago now? Um, so I, I don't, uh, you know, you can't buy this book. I mean, obviously you can buy it cause I got it, but, uh, you know, it's not one that's obviously for sale at any of the usual places because it's, you know, it's racist, sexist, homophobic and whatnot, but, uh, it's absolutely hits the nail on the head when it comes to the uh, weakness of Western governments. Yeah, well, yeah, that's absolutely true. And, uh, you know, uh, also quite well known was submission more recently uh you know written and and, and that's uh uh the, the funny thing is that that got quite a bit of critical praise whereas camp of the saints I, I believe never did um and i think it's because that the the uh submission shown in submission is uh one where it does it's quite careful in that it shows this as a bad process and a bad thing and it basically shows um, academics submitting to uh, Islamization as an easy life option. Um, but it, it doesn't show any of the, the kind of grim and, uh, and real consequences of that. It doesn't show people, uh, you know, women being sexually assaulted and, and, and nothing happening about it and uh, the kind of attitudes to women and, and children that you might get from um a, a, an islamic takeover daniel since you weren't here for the first part of the show what are your thoughts that you'd like to share about what's going on in the middle east um well i i think it's obviously horrific and uh, and obviously um uh, most human beings who have any decency in them want a minimization of the death tolls um, but it's also been something that that has been a moral test um, for people who aren't in Israel. And the moral test there is, um, do you, you know, as I said in a in a recent Substack article, um, it's it's very simple. When there's a horrific atrocity, uh, a nation state uh, is entitled to respond with force. And if you don't support that, and if your immediate reaction to an atrocity of that scale is to worry first about the community of the perpetrators rather than the community of the victims, you have failed a moral test and you are acting in an obscene fashion. And, you know, um, it's, it's very sad to see that so many people have, have learned so little and we still see that, you know, this sort of event exposes uh, the scale and the problem of, of Jew hatred. And, you know, absurdly, I don't know if this is the case in the US as well. In the UK, we, we've now just uh, entered into, after Black History Month, we've now got um, Islamophobia Awareness Month. 
but there, there, <laughs> there doesn't seem to be a anti-Semitism awareness month, you know, and uh, it, it, it's all kind of morally obscene, really, and that's the only way you can look at it. Um, the, the crimes of Hamas were so disgusting, so vile, and and so beyond any um, possible justification whatsoever, even by the logic of most terrorists, that um, uh, if you don't come down on the right side on this, you are failing as a human being, in my view. What is, what is the British government doing about this? Are they pushing Israel at all from your end, or what's their their involvement? Um, I I think that they are probably like most other globalist led powers at the moment. Um, they would like a, a ceasefire, and um, you know, irrespective of the fact that a ceasefire would essentially be Hamas getting away with it. Um, and I think they will be putting pressure behind the scenes on Israel towards that end. Uh, I mean, initially, uh, Rishi Sunak came out with a couple of good statements and, you know, uh, spoke about backing Israel 100 percent. Um, but my feeling is that that behind the scenes, they'll be pushing a much more. Look, it's time to rein it in. It's time to. Um, have a ceasefire or negotiate a ceasefire. Um, and and I, I imagine that the Foreign Office, which is always uh, always wrong, basically, uh, will be pressing that line most of all. Which is, I mean, America is sort of helping, but sort of squashing. And obviously, you know that America insisted Israel turn the internet back on for, for the Gazans, et cetera. Do you think- Yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? I mean- well, you know, what's worse, um, uh, you know, the horrific atrocities of babies being slaughtered or your Internet going down? Well, apparently to the world at large and to, to many world leaders and governments, um, the Internet going down is the worst thing. But how long do you think the, quote, world is going to let Israel keep doing what it's doing? Um, I, I think that the pressure will ratchet up more and more. Uh, and there'll be huge amounts of diplomatic pressure behind the scenes. Um, and, and you know, if Israel keeps resisting that, as it should, and if Israel keeps on a determined path of dealing with Hamas, as it should, then that that those complaints will become more and more public, I think. But I, I don't know what the exact time frame of it will be. Because I'm, I'm actually surprised that Israel is ploughing forward seemingly very, very strongly and telling the world there's no way. You know, Israel put out the statement yesterday or today said there's two ways to end this, unconditional surrender or total defeat. And that's after some pressure. So I'm yeah. I'm pleasantly surprised. I'm pleasantly surprised that Gantz and Gallant, you know, the people who so strongly oppose Netanyahu are seemingly playing nicely for the most part. And in, you know, prosecuting a war. I mean, there's a lot, what I've said before on this show is when you listen to the Israeli news, there's two Israels. And that's because I only listen to two stations. One is where <laughs> Netanyahu bad, it's all his fault. We should surrender and give Hamas back everything and apologize. And the other is we should stay unified and, you know, teach them a lesson they'll never forget, et cetera. 
What's the true belief of the Israeli? I think it's closer to the second one, but there's a strong left wing there that also wants to undermine it and is happy to play along with America and the West in getting them to undermine it. So, like I say, I'm saying- Yeah, I mean, I've said this before. I think a lot of Israeli politics is played out in the United States, right? I mean, the Israelis, whether it's the Netanyahu side, the more conservative side, or- the uh, you know liberal communist side, I think they try to get American Jewish groups, all of whom are almost all of whom are to the left, to put pressure on the United States government to alter its policy towards Israel to get Netanyahu to alter his policy. You know what I mean? So I think that's definitely goes both ways. This war, until this war definitely was happening a lot. I mean, you had a Barak, who's a former prime minister, basically bashing Israel in front of the whole world and trying to get the world to crush Israel. I think that slowed down during the war, but I don't know what's going to happen as the weeks go on. Um, yeah. Also, Israel... I have to leave, thing- gentlemen. I am uh, interesting to hear. Uh, we, did, you know, we didn't talk anything about the military thing. Like, it's really going to be hard to militarily clear Gaza uh, with that level of troop concentration. So again, I don't exactly know what Israel is planning to do, but... Um, but yeah, maybe next week seem, we'll get them more. At the moment, they seem willing to lose people. They're losing people and they're burying them and it's a big deal each one. But right now they're still going. So I don't know how far they're going to go. Yeah. So I, I will see you guys next week and I will listen uh, uh, to what you have to say later, later. All right. Have Thanks, a good evening. Thanks, Ed. Bye, Ed. All right. Daniel, what else would you like to discuss before we wrap up? Um, well, I, I suppose I should say an apology for joining so late, but um, thank you for letting me join in. Um, you but, should just uh, say you're not um, confused with the clock. Did your clock change yet? Yeah, ours has ours has changed, and I think that's caused the uh, the, the the difference. What time so, is it there now? Yeah, I joined you an hour late. Yeah. What time is it uh, there? It is uh, just past eleven here. Okay, so you're only four hours now. So you're yeah. like you're like Israel. Israel's also changed. So until Sunday, yeah, okay. I lied. I don't have to go. Sunday it resets. So we'll be okay. So go on, Daniel. Um. Well, I mean that is the biggest story, really, and it's it's what I've been spending my time talking about. What's happening in uh in Israel, and you know, at the same time, there's 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 uh, more things going on in Ukraine and we shouldn't forget about that altogether um but um yeah that I, I mean it's the it's the biggest story and and the way I viewed it is as a moral test for the West that that largely the West has failed and uh, you know it, it's dispiriting that this stuff doesn't wake people up um because it should wake people up to the to the um you know the the evils of hating Jews, but it should also wake people up to the to the threats we face. I mean, you know, the US has had eight million people enter enter illegally under Biden's administration. And the the fact that that any people can still support that administration that's allowed that to happen, when you see what ha- has happened to um, you know, Israel when uh terrorists cross a a, um, a border fence uh, and 
then at the same time, you've got millions of people coming into your country that nobody knows anything about them. There's no security vetting of any of them. Um, in the UK, we've got the, the dinghy invasions. Um, Did you, know, you the, hear, Daniel, that more Hispanics have come into the United States since Joe Biden became president than since the uh, last, since the Mexican War of 1845, 1847, something like that. 8.5. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's actually astonishing. And you've had the kind of odd anomalies, like, um, you know, a large number of Chinese people coming in a, a, amongst these people entering the US. And, you know, there's no way that that would naturally develop as they would be going to South America from China and then over the border if that was some kind of natural refugee process. You know, it's absurd. That That is clearly a case of um, the Chinese government placing people ready for something. Um, and, exactly. you know, That's why I don't know why you called it an anomaly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the idea that these people would independently go to South America to, to then go to the US, uh, that kind of distance, you know, if they're fleeing oppression, that, no, sorry, that's not going to happen. Um, and, uh, and you know, there's obviously an agenda behind it. Um, but how anyone can continue voting for the politicians that allow this stuff to happen, I, I have no conception whatsoever. Are you following the new Speaker of the House? You're aware of it, I assume. Yeah, I, I was, I, you know, I was really pleased with that development. And it, it, I haven't um, had time to follow it all um, 100%. But um, from what I could see, he seemed like a, a, a strong figure and a, a great improvement. And, uh, um, you know, it was it was much better to get to that point than to carry on with McCarthy. Um, but, you know, we've always got to be cautious about this because there was a sudden uh, shift and, you know, those can always be for ulterior motives. Now, M.M., you don't think he's going to move the needle at all, right? He's got to show me. Right now, I don't trust him any more than I trusted McCarthy. I mean, the guy comes out of nowhere. Nobody's heard of him. You know, he's not Chip Roy. He's not Thomas Massey. He's not Rand Paul in the Senate. He's... He's a nobody. And all of a sudden, he's not Matt Gates. He's not Byron Donalds. He's not he's not anybody. Nobody's ever heard of him. He's not Jim Jordan. All of a sudden, he's he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm, I'm deeply skeptical about him. Well, those things may be in his favor. I mean, two questions. Will he want to make changes? And the second question, would he be able to if he wanted to? Um at the moment, it's, I, it's got to it's got to be backed by action. Ed's totally right there. It's, it has to be backed by action, and uh, you know he has to start doing things. But I, I think it's fair to give him a, a little bit of time to bed in first. I'm giving him time, but I have nothing to say about him. I'm not going to say anything positive because right now he's a zero to well, me. Well, the positive is he's absolutely detested by the left, and that in itself is a. Good that was George W. Bush. I agree. Yeah, good point. Dick Cheney. All right. You know what? I just realized we left out the biggest story of the week. Uh-oh. Ron DeSantis's boots. Oh, God. 
the press is such an embarrassment. I assume that I mean, made it over media... the uh, pond. The, did that make it to the UK, Daniel? No, I've not heard this one. What, what's this? Well, uh, yeah. I, I, the last DeSantis thing I saw that this was, is, was that he was traveling third. No, 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 no. Apparently, oh. they have scientific evidence that he's been wearing lifts in his heels of his boots and faking his height. And this is this is a really big story here. I mean, we got him. This this is taking him down, and of course, he's having. It's, it, it's as big as it's as big as uh, you know the the old um, how small Trump's hands are stories, is it? <laughs> well, it is kind of weird that he wears cowboy boots. It's kind of weird. I mean, I know it's a thing. I don't wear cowboy boots. I know people do. Um, generally, they live in Texas. But you know, uh, not Tallahassee. No laser wears them. The only reason I don't is I find it hard to get wide ones. I love them. But um, and did he always wear them? Is this a change? And by the way, would he be the only candidate who wore lifts? Uh, no. I mean, again, what's Trump six three? So um, it's and it means something. It really died. Shouldn't. It shouldn't. Uh, these days, we've got to be thankful that, you know, a male candidate isn't wearing a push-up bra, I suppose. Yeah, uh, I mean, right. No, in that case, he'd be popular. Yeah, yeah. If he were wearing high heels, it would be okay. It's because they're cowboys. Hey, I'd vote for Blair White over any of the candidates, to be honest. That's true. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm just... Uh, I'm just surprised that anybody cares, but they do care. That's that's well, the they're thing. trying to make it a story, right? I mean, the Democrats, like Caligula, have put an actual horse into the Senate. John Fetterman, <laughs> who's now in trouble because he's not hating on Hamas. Yeah. Um, All so, of a sudden, they're going to realize he's not really there. Um, nobody is shocked that our illustrious Congressman Bowman is going to plead out and get probation for doing what if we did, we'd be in tremendous trouble for. What, what did he do I, again? I thought that, pulled I the thought fire that sort alarm. of thing came with a 22 Oh, he pulled the fire alarm. No, I don't think, I, yeah, if any one of us did, well, if we did it in the Capitol, if it's any of us did it in congressional proceedings, isn't it? That's oh, yeah, yeah, no, it was an insurrection, Joe. It was an insurrection, obviously, but um, but yeah, I don't think any of us. If we had done it in the Capitol, yeah, they'd nail us to the wall. They would. I, I just it, it's it's, it's so unfunny how predictable it is that he just gets away with it when it it's so blatant in your face, and it's like nothing happened because I'm on the left, so it's okay. Tying back to the previous story about uh, Speaker Johnson. Release the J6 tapes. You That's can't release the prisoners, point. but release the tapes. He's in charge. He could do that tomorrow. Let's see what you let, let's see if he's really willing to, to do something and shake things up. Ed, is that the is that the thing that you'd like to see the most? I mean, the first thing I would want him to do is to kind of look at, you know, what are my powers? What can I get rolling here? What can I actually do? that's going to hurt the other side personally, you know, that's going to bring the same kind of pressure to them that the lawfare is bringing 
to Trump and Associates. Well, Daniel, so, Ed's got so as, a, as a lawyer, uh, you know, and as someone who probably knows a lot more about um, the US system and constitution than I do, um, what would you guys want him to do first? Well, I think Ed is correct. That's the only I, thing he can I do collaterally. Yeah, I mean, he could show that this wasn't an insurrection in a, in a, in a day or a couple of days. And he, he could show how they're abusing their powers, how they've abused their powers for three years. He could he could do more to help Trump by showing that they're what they did to the J6 people is what they're trying to do to him. I mean, I think that's a that would be a huge thing he could do. And he doesn't need the president to sign it. He doesn't need the Senate to go along. He can just do it. What's stopping him? So, Ed, I have to say something because, as usual, you're brilliant. Because in all the last several weeks, I haven't heard those tapes mentioned once. And I think why not? I, I'm asking, why won't the Republicans mention it? That's a why doesn't Tucker Carlson mention it? Why, why doesn't Tucker Carlson? Why doesn't Tucker mention it? Why doesn't Trump mention it? They all should mention it. Now, Tucker was 100%. big on it, but isn't that why Tucker got fired because of the Jason? No, no, he wasn't big on it. He had one story about Jacob Chansley, the QAnon right, but then he thought he was fired because he wanted to put out more, but he never did. I think I, he hasn't said a word about it. I don't know. Maybe he has an NDA or something, but he, he, the, if I, if there was one question I could ask Tucker Carlson, you know, he has these shows on Twitter, X, whatever it's called. Um, there's one question. I was like, was that the only story that Jacob Chansey story? Was that it? That 40,000 hours of tapes. And that's the only, now there's a guy, Steve Baker on Twitter who says he's got access to the tapes too. And that people are working through them very, very slowly, but they are not giving free reign over the tapes anymore. They're insisting on um, curating which is fascinating Indeed. because there's all these stories out there that they are crowdsourcing the arrests of J6ers. That yeah. literally citizens are turning in other citizens, which is why they're still freaking arresting people for J6 almost three years later. Now, I'll I tell you what, I, I don't believe in rioting. I'm not a rioter. I would never, you know, destroy property or anything like that. But there's absolutely no way I would narc on somebody who was at that protest, given the unfairness of the treatment that every one of them has been getting from the alleged justices. Not a single, if I knew anybody who was there and they came asking me, I'm like, didn't do nothing. I don't know nothing because I would never narc on anybody under the circumstances that they've put these people in, which are horrific. Uh, for the United States. Torture. Didn't you, didn't you tell us uh, that Hillary was there? Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you all Hillary the Hillary was there. Right. Yeah, Hillary. I mean, is it, it's that, you know, detention without trial, in solitary confinement, subject to torture by uh, guards who aren't even Americans, weeks on end. Every night at nine o'clock, they sing the national anthem and get beaten in this jail in uh, D.C. And I am going to turn one of my fellow Americans into that who who trespassed under no circumstances would I do that. They didn't even trespass, so, Ed. 
Yeah, well, now they're arresting people who didn't even go into the Capitol. Yeah, I heard that. It's Ed, I'm wondering, how can you, can you tweet at him? How do you call out the Speaker of the House? I assume you can't get through by phone. I think that's a fantastic challenge. Well, you can always call the switchboard after the show. What's that? I will tweet at him after the show. Because nobody's talking about it anymore, which is unbelievable. But even then, you know, we've had cases before where, you know, it's obvious we know that this is unjust and we know that this is tyrannical and we know that the law is being completely distorted. And um, it's releasing the tapes or getting the tapes analysed or people looking at the tapes. That doesn't do anything, surely, unless people then say there's going to be consequences and there will be legal consequences for the people who have falsely imprisoned people, you know, uh, and of the people who have put people away for far longer periods than uh, it is warranted by their behaviour and have applied justice uh, unfairly and, you know, uh, in an uneven fashion. There, there needs to be consequences for those prosecutors, those lawyers, and and it's almost as if, you know, are there no, other than Ed, are there no American right-wing lawyers out there who want to do the work of trying to get the other side as well? Well, aren't They're they too afraid now plea bargaining with the guy, the person in Georgia? Half of the lawyers who stuck up for anything, they're now in trouble. So if you're a right wing lawyer, how much do you want to stick your neck out? They're all they're all afraid. I mean, I'd be afraid. And but Daniel, are you saying that even if it all came out, even if it were explicit in your face that this whole thing was a sham, that no one would pay for it anyway? Anyway. No, I I don't think it would have an effect because we, you know. The the evidence that the the election was stolen was was enormous right from the start, you know. And uh, if no one's held accountable for the the mainstream lies on it, and if if all the people with power to to um, put people in prison essentially are on the side of the lie. Um, what difference does it make when you reveal to people, oh, actually, this is the, what they're saying is a lie. This is the true scenario. And, you know, maybe the Epoch Times will run with that and then they'll end up getting prosecuted in some fashion. Or, you know, maybe if you're really, really lucky, the New York Post might say half of it. Um, but. The, the entire mainstream media will will just ignore it or vilify it, even though it's the truth. And we know that. Well, you're and kind of right because who are corrupt. You know, COVID, COVID stuff comes out every day and yeah. nothing seems to care. Yeah. COVID stuff comes out again and again and again. We're getting more and more evidence of, you know, that ex- excess deaths are probably from largely from the vaccine. Um and they're, what they're doing, they're going ahead and they're, they're, you know, developing new techniques, aerosol sprays to deliver a- mRNA experimental vaccines. They're, they, you know, they're putting it they're, in meat and vegetables. Putting it in meat. Yeah. yeah I didn't hear that one. Um, really. So well, they want to. Have, they haven't done it yet. You can have millions Wait, of they people. Want, we want to get in kosher meat then. 
Hey, I don't so know how you decide what's kosher or not, but um, you're probably in with them. So I would suggest you tell them no mRNA vaccine in kosher meat. Well, I have but, to tell you one the point of the is, stats, Yeah, go ahead, Daniel. Sorry. The, the point is you can have millions of people know the truth and it has no effect whatsoever um, because, you know, we live in the mediated reality that is forced on us by the powers that be. And, um, it, you know, if there's no consequence, if there's no legal consequence and there's nobody with an actual lever of power willing to do stuff that hurts the other side, um, then the truth can be out there and it changes nothing. Kind of like the whole Russian hoax. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, what was happening there um, was conspiratorial and, you know, I would say um, certainly fits a layman's definition of treason. What they were doing with conspiring to um, effectively remove a president before he'd even started his term. Um, and That's you know, insurrection, actually. <laughs> that's sedition. Yes, it's different that's, to treat. It's a real insurrection, <laughs> but it was run run by the CIA and the FBI, and you know, and uh, and the Clinton campaign. Now, if you've got any kind of functioning justice system whatsoever, those people involved in that, people like John Brennan, would be facing. They'd be the ones on trial, and you know, nobody seems to be making that happen. Right. And by the way, if anybody would dare run for office saying he'd make that happen, the press would just destroy them. Yeah, probably. Mainstream media would set out to destroy that person. Or we've got, you know, when uh, um, when Trump's crowds were saying lock her up about Hillary, even though it would be perfectly justifiable because she had actually done something wrong. This is the difference. You know, the Democrat criminals have done actual criminal acts um, and the, the, the kind of FBI have done actual criminal acts. The um, supposed criminal acts conducted by Trump, etc., are things that they've had to concoct using, you know, bits of legislation that don't actually apply and using a, a kind of uh, incredibly insane interpretation of existing law. Um, trying to get him off the Colorado ballot using the 14th Amendment, saying he was an insurrectionist. As we yeah. all know, because we've talked about it before, this is ridiculous. There is absolutely no um, understanding of that part of the 14th Amendment that makes it applicable to anybody but Confederate office holders. And even if there were, the amendment is explicit that this kind of disability is put on people by Congress, not by individual state uh, legislatures or by, you know, um, secretaries of state or whoever it is in Colorado that's trying to do it. And yet they're allowing the trial. They're allowing the case to go to trial, which is. Yeah. And, and, and um, unbelievable. You know, you've, got, you've got judges who should have accused themselves because they've got severe conflicts of interest, just as we had with people like Robert Mueller. He should have recused himself because he had conflicts of interest. And, um, you know, these things are conducted by people who aren't obeying any of the rules themselves. And then they're making up rules with which to imprison their political opponents. 
Did you see um, where that judge I'm, in Colorado actually donated money to yeah. um, to stopping Trump from being on the ballot? Exactly. Yeah. It's not even a jury trial. It's a bench trial. That judge, <laughs> that woman judge is going to be the, the one who just decides everything. It's yeah. it, it, That's just as bad as the New York trial where they declared him guilty uh, in, on a, uh, what was it, a, a motion? Anyway, they motion declared him liable. Injunction. Yeah. They declared him liable without it when facts were in dispute. Yep. Now, yeah. I believe the latest fine on Trump in New York, I think, was another $10,000. And with, quote, threats to jail him. Does anybody think that they would actually try to jail him? 100%. I do. I've been telling you that for months. What happens 100%. when the Secret Service says no? I mean, practically speaking, what happens? He's going to go to jail. With secret yeah, service, yeah. In the jail. no, there's no. They'll take it away. The who's in charge of the secret service? Steve, who's in charge? I would assume the president. Biden is in charge. Yes, that's right. So no, he will. They'll just strip it from him. But you say, oh, the law says he had. Doesn't matter. What law? Are, are you the law? What are we talking about here? Right. Exactly. Yeah, and there's yeah, what is the, the Democrat base? The, the same way that the Republican base insisted that Hillary be locked up, the Democrat base insists that Trump be locked up. But the Democrats cater to their base; the Republicans don't. Right. Exactly. There's no other way that Hillary can wasn't ever the president. Last I looked, what Hillary was never the president. Thank God. There is no other way this can end. I mean, other, the only other way it can end is an assassination. Yeah, if they kill him, or he flees, or he flees the country and seeks asylum elsewhere. Yeah, That's but the he only has no place to go because he can go to his new Trump city in in Israel, maybe. Um, and the truth is, going back to what we're saying, if they were to jail him in Rikers Island, what would anybody do? Would what could anybody do? Who would care? Would anybody in Congress, except for yelling for a few minutes, do anything? No. First of all, if you were in Rikers. Rikers is a tough place. Trump would be a rock star at Rikers. The prisoners would take care of him. You think? Absolutely. He'd be a rock star. Rikers is in fact, assuming he's, assuming he's in prison for a limited period of time and not for life, it almost guarantees that he becomes elected president next time. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, how gangsta is that to have a, a, a candidate who is in prison in Rikers Island? I mean, the United States, I mean, has anybody like read American history? I mean, we love gangsters. I mean, we make, you know, uh, Billy the Kid and and uh, all of these uh, guys, the, you know, the OK Corral, you know, we we love, uh, you know, kind of righteous criminals or you not even righteous he, criminals. You should wear bright orange or stripes to the inauguration. That's what you're saying? I think orange would clash with his skin and hair, but that's a uh, that's a matter of fashion rather than... No, I think you... Are, are you kidding? Instead of getting 20% of the black male vote, he'd get like 80% of the black male vote if he actually did time in prison. I, 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 he'd be a rock star, 100%. And, and the Democrats don't get this. The activists, the ones who want him in jail, they don't get it. That the more they persecute him, uh, the more popular he's going to be. 
and leaving him alone to just spout some of his nonsense um, unimpeded would be the best way to get rid of him. But I don't know. All right. What didn't we get to real quick? All right. I have two things. One, the person acting as vice president, Kamal Harris, Kamala Harris, has been appointed the AI czar, the czar for artificial intelligence. Now, this has got to be the irony of the week. He said, quote, and I'm quoting right this from the article, the benefits of AI are immense. It could give us the power to fight the climate crisis. The, it's, there's just going to be a giant black hole of idiocy. Just giant. Just all the matter idiocy is going to come together into a giant black hole. Not even light will be able to escape all of the idiocy. So that's one thing. The second thing is I've got to I've got to hurt Daniel for a second. I'm going to mildly now mildly criticize his sovereign. Uh, <laughs> and I apologize because as an American, I should not be criticizing the heads of state of other countries. But since Daniel's here, I'm going to criticize his, his sovereign, King Charles the Third. Um. If only he was King Charles the First. It's another story. <laughs> he is uh, he is in Kenya, expressing his deepest sorrow, greatest sorrow, and deepest regret for Britain's colonial past in Kenya. Now, my family has been to Kenya. I did not go, but I I had other things to do. But my family has been to Kenya, and they can tell you from personal experience. That the only good things in Kenya are from the British colonial past. That's it. Kenya would be Ethiopia without Britain. So now, of course, the head of Kenya, the president of Kenya, is angling for reparations, right? Yeah, uh, because they they want to be paid uh, for suffering through all of the roads and clean water. And electricity and railroads, they want they, they suffered through all of that that Britain brought. You know, it's like the Monty Python movie. What have the British ever done for us? And he's angling for money. So he's leaning into this whole thing. But if we lived in a real world, if we did not live in clown world, if we lived in a real world, that president of Kenya would be standing there thanking that moron <laughs> of a king you people have. We have a moron of a president, you have a moron of a king. Um, for the British colonial past, for making Kenya into a semi-civilized country, which it is uh, it today. Charles, Unlike, Charles, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. Did, Charles, did, did Obama, did he bow down to the president? <laughs> I don't, didn't see it. I was just reading an article. Um, Charles, Charles is a... a brainwashed woke moron you know he's uh he, he he's uh, um he's he's proof that you can go via the route of presidency or you can go via the route of um uh monarchy if your culture is collapsing you'll get an idiot in charge um you know you i mean he's not in charge of anything, england, 
Are you allowed to insult the king in England? Yes, yeah, we're allowed to, yeah. Well, you know, the, the rights of a free-born Englishman trump the uh, uh, respect due to a monarch. I'm being serious, because um, in so... Israel, you're not allowed to insult a public servant. It's a crime. Really? Yes. And I know in many countries you are not allowed to insult the um, uh, the head of state. Uh, the Thailand is the most obvious one. I mean, you 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 yeah, can't. I, I think they'd, they'd have a tough time. They'd have a tough time enforcing that in the UK. I think. Um, but the the you know the reality is that that Charles has long been uh, an utterly brainwashed. You know, he, he's a big fan of the. WEF and he's been nurtured by them for a long time. So um, you know, Charles is an idiot. I mean, he Charles also um, agreed to a uh, review, a kind of uh, um, an inquiry into reparations. Now, um, you know, if he was any kind of real monarch, if he was any kind of um, good king. Uh, the first thing he would say is exactly what Ed has, sa has said. You know, on that basis of that little um, speech, Ed would make a far finer king for us than Charles does. But, um, uh, you know, <sighs> reparations is, is part of this whole woke agenda and, and part of this whole hatred of the West and its past. And, uh, you know, th this self-loathing to the point of severe masochism is 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 vile and um you know some of the groups that the money they're asking for it, it runs to the trillions you know i saw one group that was uh um uh been organized was advocating online and they were putting a figure of something like 32 trillion pounds on uh and what they they believe that britain owes uh former colonies you know, and it's it's just a massive, massive um, racial politics gr grift uh, on behalf of nation states now. And, um, you know, and anyone sensible should basically be telling these people to F off. Um, Everybody sensible should be able to say that, where, as I always say, wherever the British Empire went, civilization followed. That's, yeah, that's absolutely. Like the absolutely. But... That, you know, it is it's basically um the idea of a vast tax on former success and a, a, a you know and punishing most the people who did most to actually improve the world and also you know the people who actually went out and uh, ended the international slave trade as much as it could be. Um certainly the legal international slave trade. Um so it, it you know, it's it's gross hypocrisy um, for a start. And it's, you know, deeply unjust to populations today who had nothing to do with the events that supposedly justify this uh, essentially racist agenda of punishing white populations today for the past. OK, anybody else? Stunned you into silence there. You you wowed us! Oh my gosh, you got him! You wiped him off the map, then. Ed M, what happened? Yep. All right. So we should we wrap up without him? Yeah, you're allowed to take uh, Cal Ripken out at the in the ninth inning. Oh yeah, it's true. You're right. All right. So we will do so. We will be back next week at the same time, five forty-five p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
which next week will be 10.45 UK time, because we, yeah. will be, we will be making our clock an hour earlier. I'm not sure why we're off from the rest of the world, but hey, we still measure by inches, thank God. So uh, please send feedback to the Conservatarian Exchange at libertyblock.com. Make sure to mention that you want Daniel on the show because he adds to it. Sign up for his Joplandia, his Substack, and buy books from the Liberty Block, especially Presumed Guilty, which is a great book. And with that, and, we- and buy and buy my um, Gates of Hell book as hey, well, which is another name again, Gates of Hell. Um, so, which is my biography of uh, and uh, discussion of the policies of Bill Gates. Exactly. Okay. With that, we will sign off and see you all next week.